you will, turn in your Bibles to the 52nd chapter of the book of Jeremiah as we continue our study through the Word. We've come to the final chapter here of the book of Jeremiah, and you'll remember the way that the book was organized and how through the beginning chapters it was life and ministry of Jeremiah, and then collected at the end were the prophecies to the nations. And, and we ended last time with Babylon and the judgments against uh, Babylon. In this last chapter, we are going to see the fall of the temple once again. Underneath the last king, Zedekiah, and we are going to see that, that this is a, a retelling once again. Much of this has already been covered by Jeremiah in chapter 39 and and we also see that this is in Second Kings as well. Uh, but we see that the fall of, of the temple was so impactful to God's people. And the exile, the final exile, the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and we see that Jeremiah is one of the few prophets that actually got to live to see the fulfillment of the prophecies that he had declared. And he had been declaring that the destruction of Jerusalem, he had been declaring that Babylon was an instrument in God's hand uh, that was being used to judge them and that they needed to surrender to that instrument surrender to the will of God and and so we see that there is the the retelling now once again uh, of that pivotal moment you'll remember the pride of the nation of Israel they believed that because uh, they had the temple that God would not judge them that that he would protect them regardless uh, of their circumstances for his own name's sake and so they would not heed they would not listen they continued into their idolatry and into their pride and we see that the destruction of the temple was such a, a blow to them and, and to the nation and and to their understanding of their relationship to God and who God is in relationship to them and so we see that the book of Jeremiah closes once once again with a, a retelling with an understanding uh, once again uh, on these events and so verse 1 here Chapter 52, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And so Zedekiah, the last king that sits upon the throne before the, uh, the destruction, was Zedekiah. He sits upon the throne at 21 years old. Can you imagine being king at 21 years old? <laughs> 21 years old uh, here in our country, you're just legal now at 21. And, uh, and here he is, this young uh, man, and he is the king over uh, Israel, over Judea, Judah. And, and so he sits upon the throne, and it's 11 years that he reigns. And so from 21 to 32 years of age when he is taken and carried captive into Babylon. He has a decade of leading the nation and sitting with the weight of that crown upon his head. And 
And how did he do? How, how well did he walk uh, as king? It says in verse 2, he also did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. And so his elder brother is Jehoiakim. Uh, he reigned after Josiah and before Jehoiachin. Uh, and so we see that then Zedekiah comes. And so he follows in the footsteps of his brother, heavily influenced uh, by his uh, older brother. And, and so we see that he does evil in the sight of the Lord. And, uh, and so maybe because he was young, influenced uh, by his brother, but we see again the, the influencing of one another, how we impact the lives of those that are around us for good or for bad. So often you will hear people say, well, I'm not hurting anybody when they are trying to justify bad behavior. I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody. But the reality is that we influence the people that we are in relationship with. And we are either influencing them for good or we're influencing them for evil. Never underestimate the power of your influence in the people's lives uh, that are around you. And so uh, here we see that he does evil in the sight of the Lord. How sad that is. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. May that never be said of us. May we walk righteously before God. May we turn our eyes uh, from uh, evil. May we be innocent uh, in the areas of uh, unrighteousness and wickedness. May we seek to be cleansed uh, and to walk in the light and the presence and the glory of the Lord. Here we see that the king exalted privilege but responsibility and and rather than being used by God as an instrument for righteousness we see that he does evil in the sight of the Lord for because the anger of the Lord this happened in Jerusalem and Judah till he finally cast them out from his presence and then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon and so the anger of the Lord this was because of their sins and their transgressions and their unwillingness to heed the voice of God he warned them he warned them he warned them he kept sending prophets to them he kept telling them to turn from their idolatry turn from their wickedness it wasn't that they were not warned it was that they had their fingers in their ears and they would not listen how important it is in our lives that we cultivate that gentle, sweet and spirit, that sensitivity towards God and towards the things uh, uh, of uh, God that, uh, that we would not transgress. Uh, transgressions is different than sin. Transgression is premeditated sin. It's a determination of I'm planning this Wednesday night to go sin and, and the execution of that sin and, and that transgression, that willful disobedience uh, against uh, God. And, and so they were willful in their disobedience uh, from him. And so he finally cast them out of his presence. Now, think about that for a minute. See, his presence was Jerusalem. 
His presence was there where he put his finger and said, this is where I will be. There in the temple between the cherubim and the holy of holies. That is where he chose to manifest his presence here upon this earth. So when he cast them out of his presence, he cast them now out of Jerusalem. He cast them away from the temple. The very thing that they thought could never possibly uh, happen. And, and it says, and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. We see that Zedekiah had been installed by Nebuchadnezzar. And he had taken an oath to be uh, loyal to him. And so this solemn oath now, he breaks this solemn oath uh, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar when he rebels uh, against him. And, uh, and so here we see that again, he is uh, uh, representing the individual who is serving the true and the living God. And so we see that, that now he has taken and uh, broken his word uh, that he has made before God. Uh, and this we see also provoked the Lord into anger. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and, and camped against it. And they built a siege wall against it uh, all around. Nebuchadnezzar shows up and says, remember me? <laughs> he had rebelled uh, now against uh, the Babylonians. And you remember that Jeremiah throughout had been declaring that they should surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, surrender to the Babylonians. And, and now here they come and they lay siege. Uh, they return back. They had been off in another battle, withdrawn. And in that time, Zedekiah rebels, but they had finished off their business uh, elsewhere. And now they return to take care of Jerusalem. And so they, they laid siege. They built walls or, uh, around it and and we see that this is now the fourth time that the scriptures uh, record the fall of uh, Jerusalem. It is such an enormous uh, event. Uh, we see that it is in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. We see that twice here in, in Jeremiah. And so we see this, uh, this narrative now. And so the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. And so the, the siege continued uh, there in Jerusalem for 18 months. For 18 months, imagine a city that could not get a food supply uh, in because the army of the enemy had surrounded and cut off your food supply. They had water, but they had no food. You can last a long time if you have water without food, but eventually the famine took its toll and, and 18 months, the starvation, the suffering of the people during that time is recorded. Cephas records and others record the, the horrors of what were going on inside the, uh, the walls there in the city. But 
incredible uh, suffering that took place uh, there uh, in Jerusalem and and so we see that the siege continues we're given the the day month and and so the people now they are disheartened they they have no strength they can't fight to hold off the city and it says in verse 7 and then the city wall was broken through and all the men of war fled went out of the city at night by way of the gate between the two walls which was by the king's garden even though the chaldeans were near the city all around and they went by way of the plain so the the breakthrough on the wall takes place and and it says that now the soldiers and their officers they they depart they flee out of the city uh, at night and and we are told uh, here that there was a, a gate now which was by the king's garden in between the the walls and uh, and so this seemed to have been a private and secret way and once the wall was breached and now the the soldiers knew that the next day the Babylonians were coming in they they had no strength they had no ability to fight or to resist and so they try and flee they try and uh, run they head out it says uh, by way of the plain they head out the south side which leads down now to Jericho and and so this is the way that they depart by way of the plain. It says, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho and all his army was scattered from him. And so the, the soldiers with the king now had departed and he has his children, his wife with them. They are trying now desperately to get away from the Chaldeans. But after you come down from the mountains, there is the wide open plains that lead out to the Transjordan, to the river, Jordan River. And, and so there on the open plains, they were easily caught. And so the, the Babylonians catch them in verse 9. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and the land of Hamath and he pronounced uh, judgment uh, on him and so we see that they are um, captured uh, they are captured about 15 miles away from Jerusalem that's how far they had made it before they were captured and then it says that they took them to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, command quarters now that was uh, located there but in Hamath and Syria that's 230 miles away so they took them when they captured them and brought them 230 miles to where King Nebuchadnezzar was and there brought him before him and now they are in judgment before Nebuchadnezzar. It says, and then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and he killed all the princes of Judah in Riblah and he also put out the eyes of Zedekiah and the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters and took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. What a tragic, tragic ending for this 
privileged uh, young man who becomes king over the nation. He suffers through the siege. He tries a desperate uh, escape. He is caught and he and his family now carry 230 miles to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar has Zedekiah's uh, sons killed uh, before his eyes. They would have been young. Mm. He himself was mm, 31 years old uh, here at the time. And so these are uh, young children now. And, and he is forced to watch as, as they are slaved before him. And then his own eyes uh, are put out. And the incredible horror that that would be the last thing that he ever saw the the sight uh, of that but they didn't kill him they put him in prison and so for the rest of his life he is living with the regrets and the remorse and and you remember that jeremiah had told zedekiah to his life would be saved if he would surrender to Nebuchadnezzar and not rebel against him. And, and we see that he doesn't take Jeremiah's counsel. And, and here we see the consequences now where God would have spared him and had mercy on him if he would have just been obedient to his voice. But here again, we see that the rebellion against uh, Babylon really ultimately was the rebellion against God by uh, Zedekiah. And we see the consequences now that takes some place. Sin always has consequences. Amen. And the consequences are all far more than we would have ever been willing to pay had we known in advance what the price tag uh, would have been. I remember being impacted as an early Christian by what I read one time, which said that sin always makes you go farther, makes you stay longer, and costs you more than you would have ever been willing to pay. If you knew the consequence and the price of your sin before you made that next step, before you answered that text, before you went online, before you flirted, before you went back that second time, if, if you knew what it was going to cost you ahead of time, you would run the opposite way. But so oftentimes we dabble, we play, we think that it's no big deal, that, that it's not really going to harm anybody, that, that there's nothing really serious about it. And, and the enemy lies to you and deceives you and tells you that there won't be consequences to your sin. But the reality, the truth is there is always consequence to our sin and in hindsight we would have never ever headed into the things that got us into in trouble had we known the price uh, ahead of time can you imagine the torment of zedekiah when jeremiah tells him that you and your family will be spared and saved you'll be safe surrender to the king of Babylon and the false prophets were telling 
And Zedekiah, the exact opposite. We have the house of God. We have the presence of God. Their army is helpless against us. They will never be able to take us. And we are gods and people. And, and the false prophets were sitting there and, and telling Zedekiah not to listen to Jeremiah. There are always the voices in our lives that are going to contradict the voice of God. Amen? Always going to be voices contradicting the voice of God. And God has given us the spirit to be able to discern, to be able to hear his voice above the other voices that are in our lives, that he might guide us and help us to navigate successfully through the obstacle course of, of this life. Our flesh is trying to take us down. The world is trying to take us away. The enemy is setting up traps for us all over the place. And, and the voice of the Lord is trying to navigate us successfully through all of of these temptations and struggles and pitfalls that that lie before us and and so cultivating that time with the Lord to be able to hear his voice to every day be in the word every day listen to what the spirit has to say to you every day nourish your spirit through the word of god the bread of life that that strengthens us in our walk and in our faith the regret of zedekiah the regret that people live with because of their sin because of not listening to God. May we not have that regret. May we listen to the voice of the Lord and may we continue to seek his face. Zedekiah is put into prison until the day of his death. It says in verse 12, now on the fifth month, on the 10th day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard who served the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. We and see that the city now had, had been wiped out. We see that the destruction now of the temples, uh, uh, of the houses in the temple, this is carried out by Nebuzaradan, the captain of the uh, army. And we see that Jerusalem is left in, in absolute uh, rubble. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls of Jerusalem all around. And then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the poor people, the rest of the people who remained in the city, the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the craftsmen. And so... We see that they weren't just satisfied with, uh, with burning everything. We see that they also destroyed the, uh, the walls uh, as well. We see that 
Jeremiah had predicted this back in the 22nd chapter and every single important building was burned down. Those who survived the siege and remained in the city remember that this is now the, the, the third time that they are taken into captivity. The first sweep brought Daniel and his cohorts, the second uh, captivity, and this is now the, the third captivity. And we, we see that each time they keep taking the best of who's left, and now all that's left are the poorest of the people. And so they were left behind, but... Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and, and farmers. And, and so those who had been outside of the walls and some of the poor that were inside were now given the land to be able to cultivate. And, and we see in this the way in which even through this judgment that there was still a remnant of his people. God will always save a remnant. Amen? There's always going to be a remnant. There's always going to be a testimony of the Lord here upon uh, this earth. There is a, always a, a remnant, and God will put his hand upon that remnant, and he will bless them, and he will take care of them. And I am thankful for that. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke in pieces and, and carried all their bronze to Babylon. There were two great giant bronze pillars that were in front of the temple. They had names and Jochen and Boaz and they were made of this brass, this cast brass. And, and in the other two they they didn't come and take those uh, uh, but here they now they destroy the temple they cut these uh, pillars uh, up uh, now and uh, and we see that uh, that they are taken back uh, we see that that the reason that this is uh, being told uh, here is once again Jeremiah had declared the destruction that would take place and, and these are fulfillments uh, of uh, those prophecies that, that we have seen. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the bowls, the spoons and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered. The basins, the fire pans, the bowls, the pots, the lampstands, the spoons, and the cups. Whatever was solid gold and whatever was solid silver, and the captain of the guard and took away. And so the implements, the pots, the giant brass pots that were used to boil the flesh and the sacrifices, the shovels that cleaned up the ashes, all of the utensils that were used there in the temple and in the worship that went on within it. It is interesting 
that all of these uh, implements here, if you go to Israel today, that, uh, that there is uh, now the, the recreation of all of these uh, implements. They have forged them and cast them and, and they are ready to go. They've got everything that they need to rebuild that temple uh, down to the priests that have been trained. They are all set to go. The only thing that they don't have is permission to rebuild the temple up there on the, the temple mount. But as all of these things were were destroyed and lost we uh, we see that uh, that they now at the temple institute they uh, they have recreated uh, all of these and uh, and they are ready to go the two pillars one c the 12 bronze bowls which were under it and the carts which king solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. There was so much bronze used, they couldn't even weigh it. They didn't even weigh it. They just forged it. This was King Solomon. You remember that King David had laid up all of the resources for Solomon to be able to build the temple. The gold and the silver and the brass and all was already situated. Solomon was the, the engineer, the, uh, the, the, the construction general that put together the temple. But the plans and the supplies, though David wasn't allowed to build, it and he furnished all of this and so this is the gigantic they call it the sea it was where the water was is this huge huge brass bowl it sat upon these 12 bowls uh four that were uh, three that were in each direction facing uh, out and the the giant labor this also was destroyed and, and taken back and carried away now concerning the pillars the height of one pillar was 18 cubits. A, a measuring line of 12 cubits could measure its circumference and its thickness was four fingers and it was hollow. A, a capital of bronze was on it and the height of one capital was five cubits with a network and pomegranates all around the capital, all of the bronze. The second pillar with pomegranates was the same. There were 96 pomegranates on the sides. All the pomegranates and all around on the network were 100. And, and so really to, to understand this passage and, and, and why these details are given, it's important to remember what was going on back in that 27th <laughs> chapter uh, here in Jeremiah. That was when Jeremiah was in conflict with the false prophet Hananiah. And you'll remember that Hananiah uh, was the one that contradicted Jeremiah. Jeremiah predicted that the very furnishings that were still remaining in the temple were going to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. He, he is declaring this is already done. This will absolutely happen. The Lord has said this is going to transpire. And Hananiah uh, promised, uh, uh, contradicted Jeremiah and said, not only will these furnishings stay here in the temple, but the furnishings that have already been taken to Babylon are coming back into our temple. And, and so we see the, uh, the, the voice of the opposition boldly declaring these things when the truth of the matter 
Jeremiah was declaring. And so down to the pomegranates, the destruction of the pillars, the furnishings, yes, but far more than just the furnishings, the complete destruction in the here of the temple. The captain of the guard took Seraiah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. So he's the high priest. Seraiah was the high priest. And Zephaniah was the second priest. They kept kind of like a, a, a lieutenant high priest uh, in place. Just in case something happened to the high priest, he was uh, ready to, to step in and to exercise those duties. That was also especially true on the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go into the uh, the holy of holies one time uh, a year and uh, and so the with fear and trepidation that high priest would uh, head into the, the the presence of god there in the holy of holies we see here that the high priest zephaniah or zariah and zephaniah the second priest and the three doorkeepers he also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, seven men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the principal scribe of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city, and Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And so all of these are rounded up and they are now brought to Nebuchadnezzar. And it says that the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamas. So striking them means that they were beheaded. And so all of these men here were were beheaded it says and, and then Judah was carried away captive from its own land they are taken out of the land God said that I will bring you to a land that flows with uh, with milk and honey and and you remember when they come into the land when they cross over the Jordan River they head up and and the blessings and the cursings are read before the people if you will and be obedient in the covenant that I am making with you. I will bless you so abundantly. But if you break the covenant with me, and if you chase after false gods, and if you exalt yourself, then I will bring judgment uh, upon you. And, and so choose you this day who you're going to serve and know that the things that I am telling you, the judgments and the statutes, both the blessings and the judgments are absolute certainties. They're absolute truth. He says that if you break my covenant, he says, I will vomit you out of the land. I will remove you from the land. You are on the land. It's yours. Be blessed. But I will take you out uh, of the land if you disobey here we see the warnings, the warnings, the warnings. And now, finally, it says that he took them out of the land. Judah was carried away captive from its own land. These are the people who Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive in the seventh year, 3,023 Jews in the 18th year of 
Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem, 832 persons in the 20. Third year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Jews 745 persons, and all persons were 4,600. And, and so we see the three different deportations that uh, took place the first one under Jehoiakim, the second one under Jehoiachin, and then the final one here underneath Zedekiah. Now it came to pass, verse 31, in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, that an evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, uh, lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. We See that Jehoiachin was uh, taken captive in the second deportation, and uh, and we see that uh, he now uh, was uh, incarcerated and uh, and had been there now 37 years uh, in exile there in, in prison. He was. 18 years old when he was carried into captivity. So he's about 55 years old now. There in Babylon, these 37 years as a prisoner. And Nebuchadnezzar's son rises, uh, evil Merodach, and we see that he replaces Nebuchadnezzar. In that first year of his reign, he takes uh, Jehoiachin out of prison. And we see that uh, he allows him now to enjoy some freedom. He is still detained. He is not free to depart, but uh, no longer is he in prison. And, uh, and we see that it says that he brought him out. He raised up his head lifted the head of the king of Judah and brought him out uh, of uh, prison. And uh, so we see here that he is from the Davidic line, from the line of uh, David. And, and the Lord did not forget the lineage uh, of uh, David. It says, and he spoke kindly to him and gave him a prominent seat, a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. And so Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And, and the, as for provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death all the days uh, of his life. And so we uh, see here that there was this great kindness now that was uh, shown to Jehoiachin uh, at the end of his life. We see here that, uh, that Jeremiah's prophecies of destruction had come true, but uh, also now his prophecies of future blessings uh, were beginning. 
Jeremiah had prophesied great blessings that would take place. You remember after they would go into captivity, God promised them that he would bring them back out again, that he would restore them to the land. And so even though there was judgment upon them, there was still the future hope that Jeremiah now had prophesied to them. The kindness to Jehoiachin we see is the kind of the first fruits of that blessing, of that kindness of that goodness of the restoration uh, of the nation that would transpire that would uh, happen uh, after their time exile there is a tradition the Jews have a tradition uh, evil Merodach was the son of Nebuchadnezzar and they have a tradition that tells us that <laughs> evil Merodach had made his dad mad, that he had been given over some administration and that he had not performed the administration well. And so his dad threw him into prison, give him a, a timeout there in prison. And while in prison, he got to know Jehoiachin, uh, who had been there in prison, who had been the, the king of... Uh, of uh, Judah that now is uh, there that they became friends uh, there in prison and that once uh, uh, evil Merodach uh, uh, ascends to the throne he remembers uh, Jehoiachin there uh, in the prison and brings him out and uh, and has him now as a, a guest uh, there at his table the rest of his life and showing him in great favor as soon as he uh, had the the opportunity to he becomes kind of the the picture of the first fruits now of those there in Babylon these things taking place about 560 years before Christ now is going to walk uh, his triumphal entry there into Jerusalem to a a nation regathered, a nation rebuilt, a temple that is uh, rebuilt. And you remember that just as we see the destruction of the temple here underneath Zedekiah, you remember how Jesus weeps uh, uh, as he prophesies uh, also the, the destruction of that rebuilt uh, temple. The, the temple will be built again. Ezekiel talks about the, the temple that will exist during the millennial reign of Christ. And so know this, that, that somehow, some way, God is going to have that temple to be rebuilt uh, there in Jerusalem. We know also that the Antichrist is going to walk into the rebuilt temple and declare he will profane it and desecrate it and declare that he himself is God and demand that the entire world bow, bow down and worship him. Jerusalem is the epicenter of the prophetic fulfillment of end times events it is the the stage now and and that clock is is rapidly ticking towards the return of our lord and savior jesus christ the, the life and ministry of jeremiah jeremiah is just amazing he is one of the major prophets in the old testament and 40 years he ministers, four 
decades uh, he ministers. Called as a young man. Called by God as a young man. And you remember when God calls uh, him that he says, uh, who am I? I? I haven't accomplished anything. I'm young. No one will listen to me. I'm not an influencer. I'm not an important person. And, and you remember that God says, uh, I will make you a voice. I, I will make you to be a fortified city. I will make you to be an iron pillar to stand up against the culture of your day. I will have you to stand against um, kings and against um, governments. And he declares the, the plans that he has uh, for Jeremiah. You will become bronze walls against the whole land. What if the whole land is against me? Do you ever feel like the whole world is against you and, uh, and all that you're standing now uh, more and more the, in opposition to the direction that the, the world is uh, heading in, that our country is uh, heading in? Be of good cheer. Know that God knows exactly the headwinds that we are headed into. Amen? None of this is catching God by surprise. Amen? I'm so glad that God never says, oops. <laughs> oops, I didn't know that happened. What? Tell me again. You know, what, what's going on that, that God understands and sees all of these things and has declared the end from the beginning. Jeremiah is this young man when he is called and, and he is fearful and insecure, but God says that I will strengthen you. I will be your strength. And today in our lives, God needs to be our strength in the exact same way that he was in Jeremiah and in Jeremiah's day. We see that, that, that throughout that 40-year ministry of being called and used by God, it wasn't easy. Jeremiah's life was not easy, amen? He wasn't sitting there eating bonbons and enjoying, you know, all of the, the pleasantries and the acclaim of, of the world that was around him. He stood against kings, against governments. He made enemies everywhere. He had brushes with death, all because he was doing one thing, being obedient to God. All I'm doing is just obeying God. And, and I think that so oftentimes we think that if we just obey God, right, that, uh, that our lives are just going to track along and they're, and they're going to, to move smoothly and I'm going to be blessed abundantly. And, and the reality is you are going to be blessed abundantly, but just not in the way that you think. <sighs> just not in the way that you think. We see that in Jeremiah's life, it really begins, you know, to hit full opposition when God tells him to deliver that sermon to the temple. And he has to go to the temple during the feast and declare that God is telling the nation to repent. He's telling the priests and the king and, and the government, they need to repent. They need to get right in, with God. And he, he was interrupting their party. And they, uh, they didn't appreciate that. And Jeremiah made a lot of enemies by just simply standing on the word of God. If you're mad with what God is saying, don't get mad at me. I'm not the one saying it. I'm just the one telling you 
what God is saying. No, you're not. You're a liar. God didn't say that. That's not what it says. That's not what it means. It's antiquated. It's out of date. It's an old book. It's not relevant to today. We don't want to hear it. We want no part of it. It hasn't changed. The opposition to the voice of God, the denigration, the mischaracterization, the attack against the word of God, that straight from the pit of hell. Has God really said that you can eat from any tree in this garden? The attack against the, the, the word of God, the foundation, and the pillar for our lives, it hasn't changed. The tactic of the enemy doesn't change. He's a, deli- a liar, a deceiver. He, he, he's a destroyer. The, he seeks to destroy and to tear apart every single thing that is good. And so Jeremiah, <laughs> he has great difficulty. You remember that Jeremiah, after the the siege, there was a lull in the siege during the final days and Jeremiah departs from Jerusalem to go visit his family there in Anathoth and you remember they thought that he was now defecting and so they arrest him and, and bring him back. He's thrown into prison and then there is the assassination attempt upon his life and then he's thrown down into the well and you remember that there was the Ethiopian rescues him and and saves him. What happens to Jeremiah? When we last left Jeremiah, you'll remember that there had been that final band that had killed the governor (laughs) that had been established by the Babylonians over the poor farmers and vine dressers that had been left behind when the Babylonians departed and they came in and and killed that governor and, and then they were worried about the Babylonians coming back and and paying vengeance upon them. And remember, they come to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, will you seek the Lord? And whatever he tells us to do, whether we should stay or uh, depart, we think we should head to Egypt. And, and whatever you say, we will absolutely do. And Jeremiah goes to the Lord, and the Lord tells him, if you will stay in the land and not depart, I will protect you. I will defend you and you will have nothing to worry about from the Babylonians. And so Jeremiah comes and tells them that, and they thought about it for a half a second and said, you're a liar. (laughs) That's not what God is saying. We're going to Egypt, and you're coming with us. And they take and bring Jeremiah into Egypt, and tradition has it that Uh, that he dies uh, there um, in Egypt, uh, that he was stoned uh, to death, that becomes one of the martyred prophets. His crime was telling them truths that they didn't want to hear. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the aggressiveness of the world that doesn't want to hear truth. That those men and women 
who were courageous enough to be the voice of God, to be light into darkness, were not well received. Hebrews 11 tells us still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, and certainly Jeremiah was mocked and hated every single place that he went. You're the guy that just keeps on giving us bad news. Stay away from us. Get away from us. And all Jeremiah was giving them was truth. Truth to navigate by. I'm giving you light so that you can make decisions. Others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment, certainly. Jeremiah was chained. He was imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Jesus said, they hated me. If you follow after me, I can promise you, they will hate you. But then he added, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He will return for his own. At the sound of the trumpet blast, we will be caught up into the rapture. We will be taken off of the face of the earth. We will go celebrate the marriage and the supper of the Lamb there in heaven. And then we will return with Christ to rule and reign in righteousness for a thousand years. That is our future. That is the promise. That is what the Word of God says. And that is what I believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the way in which you strengthen us, you love us, you show us, you lead us, you guide us, you help us, you equip us. God, help us to stand for you. Help us like Jeremiah to be bronze walls to be a fortified city. Lord, that you would continue to magnify yourself in our lives. Reflect your goodness, your glory, your peace, your love, your kindness to the world that is uh, around us, God. And Father, we look forward to standing face to face with you and hearing your words well done thy good and faithful servant. Bless us now, help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.